If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. Good morning, everyone. Last week we started a new sermon series called, If My People. And at its heart, it's basically a call to prayer. It is a call for God's people uh, to be connecting to God and to God's heart in prayer. So last week, we started our sermon series with a very simple thought. Essentially that God wants his people to pray. Prayer at its heart is just connecting our hearts to God's heart. And so that's one of the things we want to just start out with is this idea that God wants us to pray. It's a simple thought, actually, but God wants us to connect to him. God wants us to earnestly seek him. God wants us to live our lives in complete reliance on him. In fact, God designed us that way. That's how we have been created by God. We were created to have this relationship with him. He kind of likes you. Not only does he want us to have a relationship with him, not only did he create and design us to have a relationship with him, but he also made a way so that whenever you went herring off on your own, whenever you decided that the darkness was better than staying close to God, whenever you decided that sin had its attraction, God made a way. God created a way through the sacrifice of his son Jesus for us to reconnect our hearts back to God. That's the beautiful thing about forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's always available to you. You are always only ever one prayer away from reconnecting your life back to God. Your heart back to God's heart. Thanks to the finished work of Jesus Christ, all you do is pray. If you think about it, that one thought alone could radically transform your entire life. Some of the misunderstandings that you happen to have about prayer. I mean, think about it for a moment. For a lot of us, uh, prayer at its heart is really kind of, it's about the stuff. It's about asking God for things. God becomes cosmic Santa Claus, right? And, and he's supposed to just fulfill our wish list. Or maybe he's like Jeff Bezos's Amazon warehouse, and all we have to do is order something, and he's going to ship it to us. We think of God that way, and that's not the heart of it. Now, God is totally about giving us something. But what he gives us What he's offering us is so much better than a new car. It is so much more priceless than than a new house or than health. I mean, what God offers us is, is better than a really beautiful wife. Congratulations to Nathan and Carly, to Bryce and Yanu, people who've recently gotten married. Marriage is a gift from God, but it is not God's best gift. God's best gift is himself. God's greatest gift to us is himself. It's that connection that we have. It's not about us and our limited, fallen, selfish humanity. It's about connecting our hearts to God's heart and having that relationship with him. Father and son, bride and groom, best friend to best friend. At its heart, that's what prayer's all about. So today we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. And the whole book of Acts is kind of one big long story. So anytime you preach out of Acts, you kind of have to set the stage. 
So let me just take a moment to do that for you, okay? Jesus has returned to heaven in Acts chapter 1. He came to earth. He died on the cross, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose on the third day, hung around with the disciples for 40 days, and then he went up to heaven. Okay, he's coming back one day, so don't freak out about the fact that he's in heaven now. And, and all of his followers in Acts, are, they're gathered together in Jerusalem. They've, they've gotten together, and they're waiting, because that's what Jesus told them to do. They're waiting for Jesus, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And they wait a long time. They wait 50 days. They wait 50 days. Can you imagine if someone had actually waited or, or gone to the first 49 prayer meetings and, and said to themselves, you know what, uh, uh, I've been to 49 uh, prayer meetings, 49 gatherings, and God hasn't shown up, so I'm going to skip tonight. <laughs> and that's the night that the Holy Spirit comes, right? So they're gathered together for these 50 days, and then on the 50th day, something incredible happens. God's Spirit is poured out on them. It says that there's a sound like the rush wind and something like tongues of fire settling in all the people and they go spilling out into the streets and they're talking in languages that they they've never spoken before in their lives and it's so crazy that an entire crowd gathers like this is not an orderly peaceable assembly no no this is potentially a rioting crowd they're they're gathering and there's an unrest and they're they're starting to shout and they're starting to yell out because everyone's speaking in different languages and some people are accusing these disciples of all sorts of things and then peter stands up in the middle of all of this pandemonium and he is the voice of reason in the crowd and he starts to talk about Jesus. And as Peter starts to talk about Jesus, the crowd just starts to grow quiet. As Jesus is telling, God, Peter is telling them about the greatest man ever. But here's the problem. Some of the people in that crowd were some of the very same people who killed Jesus a couple months ago. It's fresh on their memories they were part of that mob that had all that violence against Jesus Christ. They were part of that group that killed the Son of God. And so they're feeling guilty about that. Peter's talking about Jesus and they're feeling a little bit guilty. Why, why did we kill him? Why, why did we allow ourselves to be swept up in that mob mentality? Why did we become part of the riot? Why did we listen to our leaders and why do our leaders hate that Jesus so much? Why did I allow myself to become a part of a gang of hoodlums simply doing whatever the elites wanted? Peter culminates his sermon saying, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be your Lord and your Savior. The guy that you killed that's the crescendo of his sermon. The people know it's true. They know it's true. And so they repent and they turn back to Jesus. They ask God to forgive their sins in Jesus' name and give them fresh lives, new start. And all the elites with their spelling and their maps and their geography, 
They're not happy about this. You see, the power people always try and control people through fear. That's what they want. They want people to be afraid because when we're afraid, we can be controlled. The crowd isn't doing what we want them to do. Oh, no, people are starting to think for themselves. Oh, horrors. The leaders are the ones who've rejected Jesus. They hate Jesus. They hate everything that Jesus stands for. All of the freedom that people have in Jesus, they don't want that. They hate people experiencing freedom in Jesus and so they decide they're going to do something about this they're going to go after the ringleaders they're going to get Peter that rabble rouser they're going to get John that pot stirrer if you if you take away the leaders if you hit the leaders then maybe the people will scatter so they arrest Peter and John they have them arrested and even in their trial it's hilarious because Peter's trying to convert people like even the the leaders themselves who've killed Jesus who hate Jesus, Peter's trying to convert them. It's hilarious. And, and Scripture says this, the council then threatens them further, but they finally let them go because they don't know how to punish them without starting a riot. So let's keep reading in Acts chapter 4 now that we've set the stage for this. Verse 23, as soon as they're released, Peter and John go to the other believers and tell them what the leaders have said. And when they hear the report, all the believers lift their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why are they wasting their time with futile plans? Verse 26, the kings of earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord. And against his Messiah. And they go on in their prayers, skipping down to verse 29. Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. Let miracles and wonders be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31 says this. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Everyone there was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to preach the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, and all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt like nothing they own is actually theirs. And so they share everything that they have with each other. The apostles testify powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus. And God's blessing falls on all of them. The word of the Lord. Do you notice in that passage that all the crazy things that happen, happen after they pray? It's after they pray that the Holy Spirit comes. It is after they pray that the whole place is shaken. It is after they pray that they preach the word of God with boldness. The prayer happens first. This is an amazing passage of scripture, Acts chapter 4. It's chock full of lessons for the believer uh, who wants to pay attention to it. But today, for the time that we have together, I think I want to just make three observations. And then I want to ask two questions based on this passage. Observation number one is this. The people pray together. You think about that for a moment. This is how they respond to opposition. 
When they are in fear for their lives, when their leaders have been arrested, when they're actually facing persecution as a church, they get together to pray. They don't scatter and go hide in their rooms. No, no, they get together and they pray. They basically say to the leadership of Jerusalem, hey, you want to arrest all of us? This is where we're meeting. Come to a prayer meeting. We're going to get together and pray. I love that idea in verse 24. One voice. Many people... One voice lifted together in prayer. I think that's critical. We talk about unity a lot in the church because disunity is so fatal to a church. But I think that the key to unity is praying together. I mean, seriously, if you've got a problem right now with another believer... If there's another Christian who's been driving you crazy, if you're angry at another person who's a believer in Jesus because of something that they've done, I want to encourage you, get together with them and pray with them. Talk, have a coffee together, whatever, shoot the breeze, but spend some time asking them about their prayer life, what, they, what you can pray for them for, and pray with them because you can't dislike someone <laughs> Once you're praying for them. Like, you can't be disunified when you're praying together. You just can't. Praying together is the key to unity. If you get together and pray with them, it's going to either change them or it's going to change you. (laughs) Depending on who needs changing. Probably both of you. But that's just the reality. Prayer together is the key to unity. And I'm, I'm just so glad for so many of you that are gathering uh, for our prayer summits, that are gathering for 40 days of pray, that are praying together. I'm so thankful for those of you that are making Wednesday evenings important in your week. And I know for some of you it means the kids have to go to bed a little bit later. I know for some of you it means you're rushing home from work, and you know what, if you have to show up here in your smelly work clothes, that's okay. We're okay with that. Come. Some of you are skipping a meal in order to get to prayer on Wednesday, and I'm just so thankful for that. I'm also thankful for those of you that simply cannot make it on Wednesday and you've decided that you're going to pray together in other ways. So you're connecting with two or three other people, prayer triplets, and you're praying together. I'm thankful for that. I'm really thankful for Pastor Darren and the amount of prayer that him and I have been doing together uh, in the church uh, as pastors this week and the last couple of weeks has just been incredible. When Darren and I pray together, we hear God's voice. It's not me. It's not Darren. We, we listen to God together. You know, about 90% of the time in the Gospels that Jesus is talking about prayer, he's not talking about individual prayer. He's not talking about going in your closet, just you and Jesus. No. The you is plural. Where two or three are gathered Get together and pray. Now, it's good to pray individually, absolutely. But there is a synergy and there's a synchronicity. There's something that happens when God's people get together to pray. And Jesus tells us over and over again that that's what we need to do. We need to pray together. Here in Acts 4, where there's opposition, the people get together to pray. Next observation. They focus on God. They focus on God. Now, some of you are like, okay, Pastor Nick, that's kind of Sunday school lesson. That's like age five lesson focusing on God. But, I mean, it's so obvious, but we have to repeat it because sometimes it doesn't happen. Trust me, I've been in prayer meetings where people do not focus 
on God. Here, the followers of Jesus, they see themselves as being part of a larger picture. They are not the center of the universe. God is. God's glory and and God's power and God's presence is the center of the universe. And they are simply gathering around that. And I think that's one of the things that happens is is we just, we start to do that. What is, and and, and there's this idea that when God is at the center, what we do resonates. It, 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 It has a ripple effect that we can't even imagine. Like what happens in Jerusalem in A.D. 33 it has ramifications on the entire cosmos. The entire planet has been shaken by what God did when the believers gathered in Jerusalem in AD 33. And I think we can learn from that. I think that the prayers that we pray here in swift current in September of 2020, I think those resonate throughout the cosmos. I think that the God of the universe His heart is moved when his people get together to pray. Wherever it is, it has a ripple effect. 99% of us, though, we're just too self-centered in our prayers. We really just focus on ourselves. We like to pray about ourselves. God, can you do this for me? God, can you give me this? God, can you take this away? God, can you do this in my life? God, take care of this. God, make me stronger. Me, 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 me. You you guys start to sound like Beaker from the Muppets. Me, 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 me. It's so annoying. So let me ask you, are you trying to connect your heart to God's heart? Or are you just trying to get God to connect into your life, your plans, your thoughts, your ambitions? Are you connecting to God or do you expect God to connect to you? Look at this. Verse 24, God is creator of the universe. Verse 25, God has acted in human history. Verse 26, evil people battle against God, not against us. Verse 27, God is at work in their present, in our present circumstances. Verse 28, God will always be sovereign. He'll always be in control. Over and over again, they are deliberately shifting their focus away from themselves and onto God. They're focusing on God. Observation number three is this. In the book of Acts, when they pray, they look out for each other. This is a little bit of a strange one because you kind of think, well, if prayer is connecting me, my heart, more deeply to God's heart, then, 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 and, and you just said we should focus on God, then how is it possible that we focus on each other as well? And I think it's because as we start to connect our hearts to God's heart, God's heart is a heart for people. God's heart is a heart for the needy and for the lost, for the ones who need him. And so that's part of the mystery of prayer is when we start to pray, we connect our heart to God's heart and God's heart in us begins to help us look out for other people. Just look around. One of my favorite singers as a teenager was a guy named Jeff Moore. Jeff Moore, some of the songs that he sang shaped my life. Jeff Moore is a Salvation Army guy, and, and so uh, that kind of plays into who he is. But he sang one song that I remember was just really profound, and it was a song about the start of the Salvation Army back in the 1800s. The, the, the idea of, of the General Booth had a, had a slogan, 
And it was this, a heart to God and a hand to man. A heart to God and a hand to man. That's kind of what has driven and, and, and impacted and been the, the modus operandi of the Salvation Army for over a hundred years. But I think, I think it's also something that, that marks the heart of this first century church. They have a heart for God and a hand for man. They're looking out for each other. As they're praying together, God just begins to shape their hearts and they open their eyes and they see people. They see people. People that need love. People that need encouragement. People that need someone to just show up in their lives and ask them how they're doing. People that need a little bit of a hand. People who need help. And so they help. These people just share everything that they have with each other. So those are the three observations that I have from this passage of Scripture. They pray together, they focus on God, and they look out for each other. Now, as, as we take that passage in Acts 4 and we start to ask ourselves, how do we apply this in our own lives? I want to ask you two questions. The first question is this. Why do we need to change the way that we pray? Why is it that we need to change the way that we pray? My father had a, a saying. It wasn't original to him, so I know some of you have probably heard the saying as well. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I like to do regular maintenance on my vehicle, so it's not broke, but I still kind of fix it. But, but if that part of it is true, then the opposite surely is true. If it is broke, we need to fix it. If it's broken, we need to fix it. And can we just take a moment and admit that in the church in North America, prayer is broken. Can we just admit that? Can we just say that out loud? I, I don't know about you, but especially me. When I think about the church in North America, when I think about our church, I, prayer is broken. Now, there are some pockets of churches here and there, maybe even denominations that claim that they've, they've got a handle on this whole prayer thing. They are a, a praying church, and they have a vibrant and powerful prayer. And maybe they do, but they are the exception and not the rule. When you look around at our world, particularly in the West, prayer is just broken. We are not connecting our hearts to God's heart. And when I think about it and, and I begin to pray over Bridgeway Community Church, it grieves me to admit it. But prayer in our church is kind of broken. There's a lot of good things going on in our church God is doing some really good things in some of your lives. Some of you are doing really well as followers of Jesus, and I commend that, and I cheer for that. But as a church, prayer's broken. And I'm pretty committed to prayer, both as an individual believer and as a pastor, and I dedicate a lot of my time and my energy to prayer, but I think back in my life, and I think about how there have been times when I have been a praying man and I need to ask your forgiveness as a church because I have not been the man of prayer in my three years here that I need to be, that you need me to be. I think about my own life in 2001 to 2006, 
six when, when I was a young pastor and there was so much going on. I was just, I was so committed to seeking the Lord and seeking him in prayer. It was, it was a time when I was a, a man of prayer. And then there was a time, 2010 to about 2014, 15, where, where I was a man of prayer, where I was desperate in my prayers, where I fasted and prayed, and I got together with other people, and we set time in our week, and we got together at 6.30 in the morning, and we fasted on fourth Fridays, and we prayed for our church. I haven't done that here. So when I look at my own life, I have to admit, my prayer is broken. So that's the first thing, prayer's broken. But the second reason we need to pray is, is, is because our nation is in trouble. Our nation is morally bankrupt. Our nation is imploding morally and spiritually. There is something going wrong in Canada. And it's not just the guy at the top. It trickles all the way down. It's a mess from top to bottom and every step in between. You want to know this? When our provincial government started to get together and they started to establish COVID protocols, when they started to talk about people starting to gather again and how can we keep them safe and what are some of the rules, they didn't even think about churches. We never even crossed their minds. They totally forgot about churches in our provincial government. They were thinking about graduations back in June. They were thinking about weddings over the summer. They were thinking about funerals, which are ongoing. They were thinking about school in the fall. They were thinking about shopping malls and liquor stores. They were not thinking about us. And, and a group of denominational leaders had to get together, and then they approached the Saskatchewan government, and they said, hey, what about us? And some of those people in the government, they were kind of sheepish about it. They're like, oh, sorry, guys, we, we totally forgot about you. We're going to have to come up with some specific protocols for uh, places of worship, right? We're going to have to, we're going to have to, we forgot about you. Let me say this. That's not their fault. That's our fault. We are so bad at being a presence and an impact in our society that our government didn't even think about us as Christians, as churches, when they were talking about everything that's going on in our world. They didn't even think about us. That's scary. Our prayer is broken. Our nation is falling apart, and it's because God's people are not praying. The third sign that prayer is broken, we need to change the way we pray, is because it's because we lack God's presence and power when we do get together to pray. <sighs> Lots of churches, Bridgeway included, doesn't have a regular prayer night. We don't even put it on our schedule. We try and compensate for that by pretending that we pray in every other meeting. But how much of it is really just going through the motions? How many of it is really just words? It's like the prayer that you pray at the beginning of your meal. where You don't even mean what you're saying. You just close your eyes and you say the same thing that you've always said. It's just lip service. And, and when we do call a prayer meeting, how well attended is it? Look at verse 24. 
all the believers were united. Look at verse 32. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. Not some of them. Not even most of them. All of them. And we get so bored with prayer. We hate the awkward silences, but we're not going to pray out loud. Nope. We don't really believe that prayer works, whatever works may be. And so we forever give God an out in our prayers. Lord, heal this person. But if you don't, that's okay. We've got a plan B. We'll figure it out. We have better things to do. We have more important things to do on Wednesday nights than to gather for prayer. Sorry, that's my Netflix night. I can't give that up. Our prayer is broken. And when I read the book of Acts, I see God moving. I see the church growing. I see things happening. The place is shaken. Shaken. The Holy Spirit fills the people. They preach the word of God with boldness. They change their world. They turn the known world upside down. And it all starts. It all starts with prayer. They lifted their voices in prayer. Why do we need to change the way we pray? (laughs) Prayer's broken. Our nation is imploding. And we lack God's presence and it's God's power in our churches. So question number two, what kind of prayer meetings do we need to have then? And I I see three things that are happening here in the book of Acts when they pray that don't always happen when we pray. And I think they're pretty essential. You can't do without them. You cannot have an effective prayer meeting without these three things. So the first thing that I see here, the first thing that happens in a real prayer meeting is this connection with God. God shows up in a real and powerful way. God is present. In verse 31, it says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just one or two of them filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the people who sit in the front rows filled with the Holy Spirit and the people in the back. I don't know about you people in the back. No, all of them. Not just the more charismatic people, the people that raise their hands when they pray. No, all of them. Not just the leaders up front. Not just the pastors and the worship leaders. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. Because God is there in a real and tangible way. A prayer meeting where God isn't present? That's not a successful prayer meeting. And you might laugh at that, but, but, but we need to have prayer meetings where our hearts connect to God's heart. And if God isn't allowed to come to our prayer meetings, then how are we going to hear him? If we don't take time to listen, how are we going to hear him? You know, our first prayer summit, I, I, I was feeling awkward. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed it, those of you that were at our first prayer summit, but every time there was an awkward silence, I felt like I needed to fill the emptiness with my own foolish words. And I'm thankful for those of you that came that first Wednesday and for those of you that came the first Wednesday and, and came back the, like this last Wednesday because God started to work on me and God said, Pastor Nick... I just want you to be Nick at a prayer meeting. I just want you to be part of the congregation seeking God's heart. And God says to me, I want to speak to my people. And I don't need to do that through you. 
And I'm, I'm learning to get out of his way when we gather together to pray so that you can hear from him. Second element to a successful prayer meeting is transformation. Transformation. Something actually happens to the people. They leave the prayer meeting different people than they were when they showed up at the beginning. Look at this crazy passage. These people are not even asking God to change their circumstances. They're asking God to change their character. God, make your servants bold. Do not change my environment. God, change my heart. Do not change my position or my status, Lord. Change my fear and change my doubt. Lord, don't change my context. Change my spirit. Change me, God. Make me bold for you, Jesus. Make me strong. Make me courageous. Make me implacable. Make me formidable. I mean, these guys in Acts chapter 4 are the very same ones who ran away when Jesus is arrested in the garden in Matthew 26, verse 56. They're the same chicken-hearted cowards who desert Jesus in his time of greatest need. They run away, and yet here they are. Something's happened to them, and they're filled with boldness. They won't back down. They are completely in. They are completely sold out. They're in this 100%, thick or thin, totally transformed because of their prayers, because their prayers have connected their heart to God's heart. Their prayers have connected their hearts to God's heart, and that has forever changed them. The third thing that happens in an Acts 4 meeting, first thing is that God shows up. The second thing is that people are changed, transformed. And then the third thing is this edification. They, they start to look out for each other. That's the third thing that marks a successful prayer meeting. They are one in heart and mind. They share everything that they have with each other. There are no needy people among them. They look out for each other. They build each other up. They encourage one another. They help one another. They serve one another in love. And all of it, all of this helping each other springs out of the fact that they pray together. You ever noticed that before? All of the other one another commands in Scripture, and there's lots of them, all of them spring out of the most important one. Pray for each other. Pray together. Pray. I get a little impatient with self-absorbed prayer meetings. I've been to prayer meetings where we forgot to submit to God. (laughs) Where essentially everyone came with their own agenda and we just we turned the prayer meeting into a into a, a babble of voices and, and we're just it was just we argued with each other until the loudest voice got their way. And we thought that was God's way, because the loudest person or the person with the most support was the one who got their way. I've been to meetings like that. You probably have too. Wouldn't you love to be part of a prayer meeting where something miraculous happens? where God shows up, 
where lame men are healed, where preachers get sprung out of jail by angels, where dead men are raised to life again. Wouldn't you want to be part of a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit falls like rain on everyone who is gathered there, where God's people are so closely connected to God's heart that the presence of God and the power of God radically transforms their entire lives, shapes and shifts who they are as people, and sends them spilling out into the streets so that they transform their entire city and turn the world up on its head. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a prayer meeting like that? It all starts when God's people get together to pray.